Blog Talk Radio. Give me the flats of dawn with plenty of tailing fish and the perfect fly rod yeah. and get ready for some magic. Awesome Join Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. Nice fish. And help make sure that the magic never ends. Visit tarbone.org to find out how you can help. Well, well, well. <clears throat> we are back. We are back from our extended break here on Kayak Fishing Radio. I am your host, Charles Levi, also known as Redfish Chuck. Uh, we'll be joined shortly by the illustrious co-host, Captain Alex Gorichke. I think I've got my boy from the Great White North, Atlanta, Mr. North side. North, north side north representing. North side's representing. Anyhow, uh, welcome back to Kayak Fishing Radio. If you've never listened to our program before, welcome. If you have, thanks for coming back and listening to us again. Of course, this show will be downloadable for free off iTunes. You can find it here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, there'll be a number of different ways you can download it if you should just so happen to want to replay it or tell your friends about it. They can find it here. Um, so, yeah, we took a little bit of a break, a couple months actually, and uh, we had some big plans as always to try and uh, help to bring you guys a better program. Um, sometimes things that you plan on don't really pan out the way you'd hope that they would. So, um we're back doing pretty much the same thing that we were doing before. Uh, but hopefully in the not so distant future, we'll, we'll be able to implement some of the things that we were hoping to uh, get done w- while we took our little break. What have we been doing since the break? What have you been doing, Mr. Page, since we uh, last spoke here on the show? Working. Freezing, working, freezing, working. To quote Clark Howard, we had an extended winter and it went directly into summer. This is true. I like Clark Howard. I listen to Clark Howard. Um, yep. Yeah. Smart man. Yeah, very smart man. So, yeah, the uh, the winter that wouldn't go away now goes straight into summertime. We already have – oh, I didn't tell you about those. I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> Um, we have a system sitting over the top of us here in Florida at the moment that may or may not turn into a named storm. Uh, it's been pouring rain on us for the last day and a half or so, and looks like we're probably going to get more of it throughout the week. 
not really a big a deal to me in the sense of going fishing and all that kind of stuff because, quite frankly, um, I haven't been local. Uh, however, I did just go and visit Old Bahama Bay Resort located in West End, Freeport, Grand Bahama. Do tell, do tell. Hang on a second. Let's see. That's right, kids. <clears throat> it was fun. It was it was it was pretty much incredible. Um honestly, it was uh different than uh a bit different than what I had anticipated. Um as far as the lay of the land was concerned, not in a bad way, in a very, very exciting way. So the whole the whole idea behind the trip, honestly, this particular trip was to get the guys from Jackson Kayaks and Old Bahama Bay together. Now you may ask yourself, Chuck, why would you why would you work uh hand in hand with Jackson Kayaks in this endeavor? of all the kayak manufacturers that are out there to that, I say, because they, in my opinion, they make the perfect line of boats for the Bahamas. They make obviously the FD series. Um, they have the Mayfly, they have the Kraken. So, you know, a number of different style boats that I feel uh, have their own individual places in this fishery. Um, plus two, I've got some history with the Jackson folks. A lot of my friends fish for Jackson and, uh, Jameson and some of the Catholic characters that made their way over there. Uh, I've been, I've been friends with for quite some time. Uh, it was interesting to watch the filming of the Jim Salmon show, um, on one of the occasions when I was out, uh, on one of the flats. So, you know, the whole, the whole, uh, trip itself was, was a, a big lead up to let's get, you know, some kayaks over to the old Bahama Bay resort so that in the future, the old Bahama Bay resort can uh, cater towards the kayak market. Because I think that it, it is definitely a location that if you're a serious kayak angler and you want to not only test your endurance, but also test your wits against some of the smarter fish that cruise the, uh, Bahamas regions such as triggerfish and bonefish and permit and things like that um, on the inshore side of things then it, it it lends itself very very well for that there's also barracudas of course and, and sharks and other species that are readily available um, on the on the bay side if you will the back side of the island not out front on the east side of the of the island where the the ocean goes from two foot of water to a thousand foot of water within a a mile of the beach. So um, on that side, of course, you've got your pelagics and groupers and things like that, that are going to hang out along that edge and, and uh, out in the blue water. But we'll start with the first day. So we fly into Freeport and, you know, if you've never flown into a small airport and when I say small airport, I, I mean, this is, I've been in I've been in golf course clubhouses that were bigger than than this airport. <laughs> the small airport. Um the plane taxis up to the airport doing like fifty miles an hour. It's pretty crazy. 
Um, and then they stop the plane. You, you deboard on the from the back of the plane down the steps. There's no like gangway to walk down. And uh, if you've checked bags and that kind of thing, you kind of still go through the protocol of just kind of standing around waiting until your bags come off the plane. Um, they don't put them in the belly of the plane. They put them up in the front of the plane. Uh, if you fly uh, Bahamas Air, which I did, uh, going over. We were supposed to fly on a private plane, but there was a fuel issue. And so we decided um, the best course of action at that point was to uh, head over um, – from Fort Lauderdale. The flight was simple. Clearing customs was easy. Um, the flight was literally 24 minutes in length. So, you know, you take off from Fort Lauderdale, you get up to altitude, which is around 6,000, 7,000 feet. And uh, next thing you know, ladies and gentlemen, please make sure that your safety belts are fastened. Tray tables are in the upright, upright and locked position. Uh, we were getting ready for our descent. So it, it's literally you know, pretty crazy that it's that close. Um, getting off the plane and making your way through uh, customs and that kind of thing is no big deal. You've got to fill out the typical customs paperwork whenever you do international travel. If you have before, then you know what I'm talking about. Um, and uh, they ask you a few questions. They'll go through your bag and make sure you're not bringing anything into the country that you're not supposed to. And once you clear all that, then uh, you're free to, to pass on through and either take a taxi or rent a car. Or uh, in our case, Old Bahama Bay had, had sent uh, a driver over in their van to come pick us up. His name was Ronnie, by the way. And Ronnie is awesome. Ronnie is good people. Um, you know, I, I take uh, – I take it to heart when you go to a place like a resort or anywhere for that matter and you uh, introduce yourself to uh, one of the workers there, one of the, the, the uh, helpers, and they remember your name and, you know, make the conversations whenever you run across each other very personable. Uh, like, you know, how was the fishing today? Did you get your bone fish? Whatever. They remember you and, and it makes you feel, you know, like it's not just an employee visitor relationship. It's more, it's deeper than that. Like they, they truly want to build a relationship with those that come to visit. So, um, you know, that was, that was something that, that stuck with me, you know, everybody for the most part, all of the wait staff and bartenders and such that we interacted with, um, you know, that they were all the same way. So that made it a very enjoyable experience. Um, Kind of takes it up a notch, you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Dead air. Anyway, so uh so yeah, so that was cool. Uh we got to the resort and uh checked in at the front desk. They gave us our room keys. And, uh, man, the accommodations at the old Bahamas Bay Resort are nothing short of, of just amazing, extremely comfortable rooms. Um, the beds are, the beds are insane. Like the most comfortable bed I think I've probably ever slept on. Um, they're, they're essentially their condos, right? And they're owned 
uh, by uh, individuals. They're, they're privately owned, but they're rented out. And uh, they have kitchenettes. So, you, like, the room I was in had a dishwasher, refrigerator, freezer, washer-dryer, stovetop, microwave, um, you know, and they had plates and silverware and things like that in the room, too. So <clears throat> they definitely made it comfortable, makes you feel kind of like you're at home, except for the fact that there's a big, giant, fancy jacuzzi tub, a wa- big, giant walk-in shower. You know, it's just, it was it was very, very nice, very comfortable, very clean. Uh, service was impeccable. So <clears throat> there's a restaurant on the premises, and there's also a tiki bar, which, which does... Uh, serve food as well out by the pool and uh, I'm surprised that I came back not weighing more than what I did Um, I figured I'd pack on the pounds you know just about being over for almost a full week eating like a king but I did so much waiting and so much walking that I think I pretty much just walked off whatever carbs and stuff I put in my body whatever fuel I decided to feed myself I ran through it pretty quick but uh, yeah, it, it was just it was it far exceeded my expectations, and I I honestly believe that there is a future uh, there at OBB for the kayak community. Um, I, I'm already my mind's already going a hundred miles an hour trying to figure out uh, possibilities for. Uh, events and tournaments maybe or just events to get people over there to, to have a good time and um, you know the the thing about it too is yeah now there's Jackson kayaks over there you've got a, a series of Jackson kayaks sitting over there to where when you go over um, you'll be able to uh, quote unquote rent one of the um, the nice Jackson kayak Jackson kayak fishing models, um, you know, limited availability, of course. I mean, there's only six kayaks over there from Jackson. There's a couple of resort kayaks there as well, uh, ocean kayak style or ocean kayak brand uh, kayaks, but they're not the fishing style. They're just, you know, they're just traditional, um, what do you call it, resort style kayaks. But there's also the opportunity for you as a guest to um, pack your kayaks up on the high-speed ferry and have them sent over along with yourself and, uh, you know, then be picked up from the port with a truck and uh, haul some kayaks back over to the resort itself. So if you wanted to go over and fish out of your own boat, pack your own gear and all that kind of stuff, um, you can do that as well. Uh, they're, they're, they're in the, they're in the beginning stages of figuring all this stuff out. So don't jump the gun on me and call and say, Hey, I want you guys to pick me up tomorrow. I'm coming in by way of high sweet ferry. Um, but once, once some of those accommodations are set in stone, I'll be sure to, uh, inform everybody about that. But, uh, I saw as far as the fish are concerned, the different species that I particularly ran into, bonefish and due to the 25 plus mile an hour winds and my nerves and me just not making it happen 
I definitely missed out on some really, really good opportunities on some of those fish. Um, joined now by Thaddeus. What up? What is up, buddy? How are you? I don't know. Good, man. Just finished dinner and uh, realized that I was late. So I'm grabbing the dog oh. and heading out the door. <laughs> oh, man, you're good. I'm just I'm just rambling about old Bahama Bay. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, like I said, the, some of the fish species I ran across, I saw plenty of bonefish. I saw several permit, um, all very large permit, um, all kinds of snapper species. Uh, I still can't remember the name of that fish. Pomfret, pomfret, pom, uh, whatever the hell it was. It's like a mix that that between one? a... Uh, huh? It looks like a little pompano mixed with a permit. Yeah, 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 yeah. They got long, long pec fins, and, uh, you know, it's, 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 they're interesting looking. They, uh, yeah. all, all of those, I caught, I caught five or six of those. Yeah, we were just down in the Bahamas on a cruise, and we went to the port, um, or we went to the beach at Nassau, <clears throat> and, I had a little pot of those swim up to us while we were just sitting in the water. It was pretty pretty rad. Yeah, and that's it's funny because that's pretty much how I found these. I was uh, wading along, and I looked out, and I saw a sea turtle kind of slowly cruising past, and I figured, man, something's got to be following that turtle around as he's munching on grass, so I threw a fly over by it and pulled one of those <laughs> off of him and then pulled a second one off of him, and then uh, – a little while later, I was walking along and saw a big ray laying on the bottom, and there were several of them around the ray. And what was really cool is you could sight fish them. Like, you can literally watch them chase the fly down and eat them. And, um, you know, they're fun. I mean, they're small fish. They don't, they don't get very big. But uh, still, a species I hadn't caught before on the fly rod or yep. on spinning rod. So very cool for that to happen. Uh, plenty of barracudas. So if anybody wants to go catch some barracudas on fly or on spinning gear. Now, obviously, I went over there looking to do this fly fishing, uh, mainly it's fly fishing. I didn't even touch a spinning rod the whole time I was there. And some folks might not would understand why I would do that because literally I could have slayed the bonefish with a spinning rod in my hand. It wouldn't have been a problem whatsoever. But that's, that's not how I want to catch my first one. My first one has to come off the fly rod. And so I didn't even want to bring anything else because I just didn't want to tempt myself to throw plastics or, or bucktail jigs or, you know, anything like that. I wanted to see how many fish I can get on the fly rod, and I caught dozens of fish. Um, between uh, French grunts and schoolmaster snappers and um, blue runners and small hound fish, uh, or large needlefish. I couldn't tell you the difference between the two. Um, what else did I get? Like I said, the barracudas, um, that palm fret thing. Hooked a bonefish and Trigger. lost it, and it was... What's that, James? Trigger. Oh, yeah, the triggerfish. Yeah, so uh, the triggerfish was like the first day, the first day of actual fishing. And... Uh, What's interesting about the triggerfish is when the tide starts to drop on the ocean side of the island, they come in and get, it, get all up in the rocks, and they start to tail 
just as you would see a redfish or something else tailing, right? Like they, they're in shallow enough water to when they dip their nose down looking for something to pull off the rocks, uh, their fins break the surface. They are almost jet black when you see them. They're super dark. And I'm not sure what, why they are color, why the coloration is so dark, but um, I don't know if it's to prevent predators from picking them out or maybe they just don't care. I mean, typically triggerfish don't really worry too much about anything. Um, But when I hooked that fish, it changed colors from black to almost silver. Um, And it was pretty crazy. I've never seen a triggerfish change colors before, so that was new on me. Um, I will take the moment to pat myself on the back because the wind was blowing 25 plus knots the whole the whole like first four days I was there, and I saw this trigger fish working, made a cast to it. He kind of tracked the fly a little bit, and then kind of lost interest and started swimming out deeper. And uh, I chased him down and made one heck of a cast to him. And when the fly landed, he swam right over. I felt him. T- I felt him take it. Uh, strip set like I was going to rip his face off and. Uh, it was a fun fight. I was, I was again, surprised by uh, their ability to be able to run through and around the rocks and over the top of the rocks and not get me all hung up. So, um, but it was a good, it was a good sized fish. And my friend Mark Wilson and I, who I went over there with, um, we, we decided that it would be best to release said trigger fish as opposed to eat said delicious trigger fish because we wanted to, uh, set ourselves up with some good karma for the rest of the time there, hope, hoping for the bonefish. Moral of the story, if you catch a delicious triggerfish, you might as well kill it and eat it because releasing them doesn't give you any kind of good karma. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, it was, it was just, I mean, the entire trip was just a lot of fun. At night, uh, the, the dock life came alive as far as, you know, the people uh, on their big sport fishermen and such. There was a big tournament uh, at the island the same weekend that we were there, uh, the Mike Schmidt Invitational or whatever. And so uh, Mike Schmidt being a Hall of Fame baseball player, it, it was a big boat tournament. Lots of beautiful sport fishermen come rolling through the marina. But again, with the weather, uh, that knocked down some of the uh, – some of the teams that were supposed to show up, there were supposed to be 40-something teams there, and I think there were only like maybe 20 teams that fished the tournament um, because the, the crossing was so gnarly. Um, the uh, Got to hang out on an 80-foot Viking, which was pretty awesome. Um, got to hang out on some other big boats as well. Uh, danced the night away, so to speak. Did some, some singing on the back of some of these boats at night. Uh, it was good. It was good fun. It was good fun. But it's so close, you know what I mean? It's like such a close fishery that it doesn't make sense to not put that on your list of places to possibly go visit. Um, it's it's not outrageously priced. It's uh, and that's part of the reason why I was so excited about. Uh, talking with Mark Wilson and talking with Sergio and some of the folks from OBB is because uh, it it really truly can 
open a door for you that you might not have thought possible in the Bahamas. Um, we've, we've all done our research and trying to figure out where you can go stay and fish and the whole thing. And most of the time when you find a lodge, you find a small resort. It, I mean, you're talking uh, a serious investment to go and, and spend a couple of days at, at that location. And, and if you include the fishing and, uh, this is just has be uh, this has do it yourself written all over it. Um, even if you don't want to mess with the kayak, if you just want to go over there and walk and wade and, and experience some different places and check out some cool stuff, um, there's all those opportunities. There's you've got a local bone fishing legend that lives right right in the same uh, general area. Um, uh, Tommy, what's his last name? I just forgot it now. Foley, Tommy Foley. So, you know, you can book Tommy Foley for a flats charter over there. Um, here he is, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to welcome him with a beer pour. Possibly, if my mouse wants to work. The hell with it. The man, the myth, the legend himself, my brother from another mother, Captain Alex Gritschke. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Excuse the uh, the sniffly sound. I believe I have cough due to cold. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, man. What's going on, brother? Uh, it rained today. <laughs> it rained a lot. And we today. fished in the rain. Did you catch fish? That might have something to do with why I'm sneezing uncontrollably. What kind of fish did you find in the rain? We found a big old giant redfish. Yeah, I knew that. I was was, testing you. It was a big redfish. I've caught some big redfish, and it was round. Pleasantly plump. It's plump. Well, we're oh, just full uh, of what? Pogies? Croakers. Croakers. Lots of croakers. Rap, 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 rap. That's the official oh. croaker noise, in case you didn't know. Yeah, we were just discussing uh, Old Bahama Bay. And um, you know my my experience over there, and uh, what I think folks who are listening to the show who may may want to venture over to the Bahamas and, and do some fishing over there, what they can kind of come to expect as far as uh, opportunities that that present themselves fairly easily over there by way of kayak. Um, you know. What what the guys didn't get a chance to do because of the wind um, was really explore the the if you want to call it the flats but the the back bay area um, right behind the resort there's gin clear water as deep I mean as as deep as you want to find you're going to find it uh, right around the island but uh, average depth is probably somewhere between. 15, uh, about five to 15 feet behind the resort. 
and uh, or I guess out in front of the resort, the way that it sits, depending upon it doesn't matter, whatever, to the west of of the island, the west side of the island, um, and it's loaded up with mutton snapper, yellowtails, um, big barracudas, uh, all kinds of jacks and stuff. Now, listen, I caught a fish that I don't, I still don't really know what it is. Um, I haven't gotten that yet, so. Uh, it would be cool if somebody listening to the show might would be able to uh, give me an idea of what it is that I caught. Now, this fish is uh, shaped almost like a blue runner. It has kind of a dark gray body with a really bright blue line that runs from just behind the gill plate up across the top of the back back towards the tail. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. I didn't I didn't get a picture of it uh as I was wading by myself. <clears throat> so um but it was a very, very cool looking fish. Um I haven't I've never caught one before, so uh Mark Wilson said that he had caught a few of them and that they actually ate them ceviche style, and it was it was supposed to be like really really good. But the one I caught wasn't very big. It was like uh, I don't know, maybe ten or twelve inches long, maybe a little bit bigger than that. Like a almost like a little vermilion snapper size, you know, typical little vermilion snapper size. But super interesting looking, very aggressive fish. Um, and then right after that, I, I hooked like a foot and a half long barracuda only to watch about a five-footer come in and eat him uh, about 10 feet from me. So that was exciting, terrifying all at the same time. Um, yeah. That's pretty much it. <laughs> no, there's, there's way more to the story than that. It's just that, you know, when you sit down and you're trying to uh, recall parts of the adventure and the funny parts and the things that you might would want to talk about, but then you realize, oh, kind of throwing your buddies under the bus kind of situation, then you just kind of right, we'll skip that part. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, we'll just go ahead and... Some things just are better to be left un, unspoken. Like what happens in the Bahamas stays in the Bahamas kind of a situation. Nothing horrible, just shenanigans. All right, so I will tell one story. So we had, uh, this is pretty <laughs> funny. We had uh, Jameson, yeah, just throw people right underneath the bus. Jameson and I were uh, sitting at dinner with, couple of the other folks and uh there was a the 80 foot viking that was in in the marina and we had looked at it the day before from across the marina and i mean obviously it's just a beautiful boat 80 feet long it's massive and i told jameson we're gonna go get on that boat today like i'm gonna go check that boat out i don't know how we're gonna do it but we're gonna go over and figure it out so we walked over and the captain was in the in the uh, cockpit and he was just kind of sitting around listening to music and I made small talk with him just like, Hey, you know, this is a 70 foot. I didn't know it was an 80 foot at the time. I said, was this about 70 foot? And he's like, Oh, this is the 80. Like, oh man, it's a beautiful boat. He's like, come on board. So, okay. 
So uh, we kick our shoes off, jump on the boat, and uh, if any of you guys get an opportunity, go on to either Facebook or Instagram. Look up Mark Wilson. His profile picture, I believe, is him with a bonefish. And he did a walkthrough video of this 80-footer. He tagged me in it on uh, he tagged me in it on Facebook. But anyways, he did a walkthrough of this boat, and it made absolutely no sense. <laughs> like four staterooms, four bathrooms, uh, all the room that you'd ever need within the salon. It was an open uh, bridge, so it wasn't closed off with uh, with windows. It was an open bridge with eyes and glass. Uh, one, two, three. What was it one, two? I think there was three stations in the tower. Um, no, two stations. So you had the bridge, and then you had the two stations above it, and. Uh, the seating on the bridge was just insane. Like, you could probably put 30 people on that boat comfortably, honestly, and, and not feel super crowded with the size of the salon, the cockpit, and the uh, and the bridge. But uh, hung out there, met some really cool people, met a gentleman by the name of Frank Dowling, who is the president of the Cigar Tea Company. And the cigar tea is a product that I'm holding in my hand right now because he was nice enough to pass one along to me. Um, for any of you uh, fishermen that also golf, if you enjoy uh, the libations of a, of a fine cigar, um, he came up with this really pretty cool um, product where you, you literally just stick it in the ground like a golf tee and it's got a little cup on the top end of it and you stick your cigar in the cup so that your cigar is never laying on the ground at the golf course, which I can't tell you how many times I've laid a cigar down at the golf course and then thought to myself, maybe I probably shouldn't put my lips back on the cigar because of the fertilizer beads that are all over the place or the insecticides that you can still see glistening in the sunlight. So, um, you know, kind of a cool way to they keep your cigar off the ground. So check them out for sure. Cigar Tea. Go to www.cigartea.com and you can see it for yourself. But uh, hung out with Mike. Not to mention how many times you've... I was just going to say not to mention how many times you've sat a cigar on the ground and then walked back to the golf cart and gotten two holes down and realized you forgot your cigar at the tee box. (laughs) Or that, yes, indeed. I've done that plenty of times. Um, I will say this, if you want to smoke a cigar while you're in the Bahamas, I highly recommend that you bring your own because they are not cheap over there. (laughs) They are not, not cheap by any stretch. So, uh, even the pack of backwoods was like, I think eight bucks for a pack of backwoods. It's pretty crazy, but, um, yeah, so we hung out and, uh, had a good time on, on the big Viking. And then we got a chance to, to board the uh, the president of the Homeowners Association over there, get to board his boat. Uh, forgive me, but I do not recall the, the size nor the make of that vessel, but it was beautiful. Um, definitely a big boat. I mean, you cross the ocean with it, no problem. But uh, there, here is probably the coolest product that I saw during the entire trip. <laughs> a liquor dispenser a liquor dispenser that sits that's mounted into the countertop 
on the boat um, in the salon, and it has buttons, and each button is, is labeled, like one's whiskey, one's scotch, one's vodka, tequila, rum, um, you know, whatever. And you literally put your cup underneath the spout, and you push the button, and it, and it delivers you your liquor of choice. When talking to the gentleman about said liquor dispenser, he's like, well, of course. I mean, you can't very well in rough seas pour yourself a beverage and not spill it. So, you know, this is like the perfect scenario. I'm thinking to myself, oh, the guy's right. And his wife's like, yeah, we like it so much we installed it on our plane. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. So you've got a liquor dispenser on the plane too? All right. I like you people. (laughs) <laughs> We're going to get along just fine. Um, but it was. It was a really cool system. So I got some pictures of it and stuff because I got geeked out about it. But, uh, you know, the fishing, like I said, it was it was tough because the wind the wind conditions kind of kept us at bay from doing some, some uh, exploring in areas that we would have liked to have gone and explored in, or at least I would have liked to have gone and explored. The guys from Jackson got a chance to – go and see some areas I didn't, but that was kind of the point. They were over there to film shows and stuff, and I was just there to kind of make sure that everything was set up for them and help Mark and you know, do whatever I could do to, to, to make it a, a seamless uh, event for them. So, But it's definitely, it's definitely uh, for those of you that think like me, and I know Alex, you you do, and James, I know because I fish with you. Um, if you're, if you can go fishing in a place and admire the natural surroundings as much as you admire the actual fishing, it's a place that you will never forget. Um, I was just walking along the shoreline, crawling across rocks and these little rock jetties, looking down and seeing all kinds of angel fish and and damsels and wrasse and. Um, again, uh, schoolmaster snapper and uh, French grunts and, you know, all these different species just being happy fish, just doing what it is that they do every day on a reef, you know. But um, it was uh, – I know next time I go, I'm going to want to swim more. I want to get in the water with a mask and snorkel and go check things out and see stuff and bring a, some sort of an HD – underwater camera with me so that we can I can get some good, you know, still shots and footage too of the sea life that's in the area. Lots of sea turtles, tons of sea turtles, um, lots of big stingrays. There's some uh a couple of, of keys that are located uh three or four miles three or four miles away from the uh from the resort itself. And <clears throat> Those are hot spots to go and feed rays and do more of the touristy type of uh, situation. But the fishing around those islands, from what I was told, is, is really good for big, big muttons and uh, lots of other stuff too. So super, super cool. Super cool. Anybody got any questions? Yes. Yes, indeed. So, obviously, you guys couldn't take a chance at even trying any blue water, right? We, I, didn't get a, I didn't get a chance to do it. Uh, I think did the Jackson, Jackson and, guys even try? Yeah, I think they did the last two days they were there. They got a chance to kind of sneak out. I know they were chasing around the school of Skipjack. Um, 
they caught some big sharks and some other stuff too. But uh, the blue water is right there. I mean, it's, it's all weather dependent, of course, but the blue water is is literally right. Like when I was wading the oceanfront flat, there the blue water is just past the breakers. So like, picture wherever you live, people who are listening, Alex. Picture going out to the end of Cocoa Beach Pier. At the end of Cocoa Beach Pier is the drop off, and it just drops to like 600 foot. And then it drops to like a thousand foot, and then two thousand foot. We I was watching the sport fishermen that were trolling for the tournament, well within kayaking distance of the beach, troll back and forth. Nice. So, yeah, there's 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 plenty of opportunity for that, um, weather dependent. And when the wind blows, there's a, there's options too. I mean, like there's an estuary system. It's called Pelican Lake. It's uh. It's a, it's a car ride from the resort. You're not going to want to paddle to it unless you catch the tide right. You might would, you know, work the tide coming into the bay and then work the tide coming out of the bay, pulling the water out of Pelican Lake. But that area, I didn't get to fish, but I can tell you what, we rode over to look at the little kayak launches there for the eco tours. And I, I kid you not, we pull up. None of us have a, none of us have a fishing pole in the van which lends itself well to the story. It's kind of my luck for the trip. We pull up to this man-made little ramp, you know, surrounded by empty conch shells, which there's bajillions of. So if any of you are shell collectors too, don't feel, you know, don't feel pressured to have to go hunt yourself a conch shell. There's literally mountains of them everywhere you look. Um, We pull up and the wind is cranking. And Jameson goes, I think there's a, a little small shark coming down along the shoreline. And we look over, and it's a bonefish. It's like an eight-pound bonefish, just literally swimming five feet off the shoreline across in front of the uh, across in front of the, um, the boat ramp. That was better. Get it down to eighty. You know, then you're trying to compensate for two, up to five degrees. There. Sorry, James. How to mute him. Um, but so, uh, yeah, bonefish swim right past us. So they took the guys over there one day and dropped them off and let them kind of go in and explore. Actually, Mark towed two, I think Mark towed two kayaks behind his little skiff, little Carolina skiff that he's got over there now, um, up into that area. And the guys found a bunch of bonefish. They found a bunch of uh, barracudas and sharks and stuff like that. I almost forgot. So I'm bringing you back, James. You're back. I feel loved again. (laughs) Alex, so check this out. So this is like my fourth, I think the fourth day there. Uh, Me, Jen Ripple from Dunn Magazine, um, which is a, a fly fishing magazine, a beautiful fly fishing magazine uh, that's primarily based around women fishing, which is cool because, of course, that, that's the demographic that needs to be reached. Um, but anyway, she was with us and Jim Sammons and, uh, gosh, I can't remember his name now, and that bothers me because he was one of my favorite people on the trip, but uh, Jim's camera guy. So um, we, were, we were walking along the beach, and all of a sudden, this snook comes swimming down the trough. 
tide's kind of high still, and the, there's some water in the trough in front of the rocks. And the snook that's probably, if I had to guess, 26, 27 inches maybe, maybe even a little bigger, comes cruising down the shoreline like, hello, catch me. Everybody threw something at that fish at some point during the day, <laughs> and he just didn't want a thing. I threw flies at him that I hear I'd crush snook on. And he just he'd, he'd turn and look at him, but then turn away and keep keep on moving. And you can follow him, you can walk right next to him. If you're not throwing anything at him, you I was literally three four feet away from this fish, standing on the sand. And uh, it was pretty crazy to see it because there's a lot of the locals and stuff. They say that they don't see snook over there. Well, here and Mark has told me about uh, snook that he saw on that flat as well. So. I'm not sure that there's a population, a big population of snook over there. I'm thinking that there's a few that have made their way over there some kind of way, across the ocean, whatever. They have fins and gills. I guess they could do it. And uh, But, yeah, that was pretty cool. That was an interesting uh, thing to see because I, I wasn't expecting to see that, that at all. So, But here's the most interesting tidbit about the fishing. So here I am. I've got every fly rod known to mankind that I own in my luggage. I've got five fly boxes full of flies. I've obsessed over this stupid bonefish for basically my entire life. For 30 years, I've dreamt of catching a bonefish. Put all this pressure on myself. Oh, I'm going to catch this bonefish on a fly. It's going to be great, whatever, whatever. Jim Sammons goes out and fishes behind Mark's skiff. Mark's got a chum bag out trying to draw in some yellowtail snapper and stuff like that. And Jim catches on consecutive casts with a Sabeel stick shad bonefish in six foot of water. Let me say that again. So Jim Sammons, sitting in a kayak, throws his Sabeel stick shad in six foot of water and catches on two consecutive casts, two bonefish on a stick shad. Huh. What did he catch him on? A Sabeel stick shad. <laughs> That's yeah. like a hard bait that looks like a minnow, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a hard bait. It's a subsurface. It's not a diver. It's, it's like a midwater column type bait. Uh, kind of like an X wrap ish. Um, lots of yeah. flash and two, hooks and all kinds of stuff, huh? Yeah, dude. I mean, like silver body with the pink, pink <laughs> I back. I know where I'm getting. <laughs> I know what you're saying. No, no, I got you. Yeah, I liked your comment too about sending me over some shrimp. You know, it. it here's the thing. So, I've decided. <laughs> Once I get one on fly, I'm going to put the fly down and I'm going to grab a spinner rod and I'm going to do absolute work over there. Because, Alex, if I, if I, ha- knowing now that they eat the Beal stick shads, for Christ's sake, I'd, I'd throw anything at them small bucktail jigs, SSTs, I mean, anything. And, with the spinner rod, it could blow 25 miles an hour. And you could still throw a cast past that fish with light, light line, not spook them. 
not like a fly line landing on the surface. But hey, Chuck. Go ahead. I told you there's nothing but so fast silver catfish. Fast doesn't even describe how fast those fish are. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I, I listen again. I've I've watched every video known to mankind on social media and on YouTube and all that kind of stuff. I've used to watch Walker's Cape Chronicles, watch uh, the Spanish Fly, watch all these people catch bonefish over the years on TV. And yeah, you hear the you hear the real singing, you see the line cutting through the water, but until you feel that, until you are holding the rod that's attached to a bonefish and the, the reel is literally like flexing and wobbling as this fish is just booking it to China. I've never, I've never in my entire life ever experienced a fish in shallow water that did that, that could run that fast. And I had, I had the only one that I got to eat. I had it on for about, maybe 15, 20 seconds, and then he busted me off around a rock. And there's nothing I could do. There's literally nothing that I could have done any differently. I, I've replayed that scenario over and over and over in my head a million times, and there's, there literally was nothing that I could have done any differently. I held the rod super high, I running, through the, running through the surf, almost tripping over rocks and stuff, kicking, you know, kicking coral heads and stuff, unfortunately, but – Hey man, it was that was my fish, that was my shot at, at my first and so you know, it was what it was, but uh yeah, I've never I've never experienced anything like that. And then to see the permit on the same flat dead. I was just gonna say there's a uh fall two years ago that um we were in Stewart. I mean it's not the it's not the Bahamas but we were in Stewart. Uh, we had Shane yelling. Our one of our engineers from Hobie come over, and every time he comes, it's just terrible weather. And you know, it's blowing 25:30 out of the east. We went out to the middle of the river. It was me, Christina Weber, and Shane yelling, and we just decided to get in one of the channels and jig for pompano. And I caught a bonefish on a pompano jig, just like a little. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember what color, probably yellow with a pink teaser, just like a little, I mean, we got, we got Captain Joe's jigs down here. I'm sure you guys got jigs up there too, but just little, you know, quarter ounce, probably not even quarter ounce, 16th ounce, bright yellow pompano jig, and he was not foul hooked. (laughs) So that's just going back to your, I mean, spinning gear. You can, I mean, they'll, they'll eat pretty much anything. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's the thing. Um, Robert Field was just down in Panama again, and they were dropping crappie jigs down mm-hmm. trying to catch bait, and he caught, I think they caught two or three of them over in Panama. Jeez. But they're, you know, they weren't sight fishing them. I mean, they're, they're in 10-plus foot of water, and they're looking for bait fish, and they caught bonefish. Well, and I've seen people in Port Canaveral down at the down at the drawbridge fishing with a dead nasty shrimp on the bottom catch a bonefish. So I mean you put them on, we kind of put them on a pedestal in the fly fishing world for a, a, a different reason, not because they're easy to catch, but because with with the way that fly gear is, with the thickness of your fly line and everything else, uh it's a it's a fish that's easy to spook. 
um, you can you can throw a plug a country mile, and again, if if the line landing on the surface doesn't spook them out, and you get you can present something to them, I have no no doubt whatsoever that they're going to eat. Hell, you can watch them feeding in and out of the rocks in the same place that I, I spent four days looking for them. And yeah. but the whole thing with the fly rod is is that again, you make this cast with this floating line, and this, as soon as the line lays down in the water, if it's within five feet of them, they're gone. They just they disappear. They either shoot off because you spooked them, or they, they turn left or right, and you can't see them again. Um, I'm not about to go out and stand on a flat and blind cast my arm off the entire day with a fly <laughs> rod. It's just, that's not my idea of fun. But when you do see them, and I think the thing that like tripped me out the most about them is when you do actually lay your eyes on them, if you take your eyes off the fish for a second, they're gone. Like, it's not like a redfish or a trout or a snook or a tarpon or anything else that we're accustomed to fishing for. Literally, you can see two of them side by side coming down a sand hole, and if they're swimming at you or away from you, their backs stand out like a sore thumb. they got this beautiful green back to them, right? And you can see that above the white sand. The minute that they turn any kind of broadside to you, they literally disappear. Like, I had one. This fish was a solid eight-pound fish guarantee it would have been an eight pound fish coming down the shoreline i was standing on the ladder you know trying to get a better view and seeing him coming down the shoreline and then all of a sudden he went over some rocks and he literally disappeared like gone like and i'm i've got really good eyesight when it comes to spotting fish spotting movement in the water and that kind of thing and this fish was gone he moved about 15, 20 feet and got over top one of those sand holes and away from the rocks. And all of a sudden, there, there he goes, cruising down the sand hole. Well, now he's 20, 25 feet, 30 feet, 40 feet away from me, and he's cruising. He's not slowly you know, meandering back and forth. He's trying to race the tide out of the pocket, and it's too late. I mean, in a 25-knot wind, there's just you, you stand very little chance of putting a decent cast on a fish that's moving away from you that way. But I watched, uh, I watched Drew, um, forgive me, Drew, I don't remember your last name at the moment, but I watched uh, Drew, who was there with us, uh, get up on some rocks uh, down at the point in the same general area where I was fishing, and he found a few of them that were milling around inside the little cuts between the rocks during the low tide. Uh, they were obviously still in there looking for something to eat, and, he, and I watched him present a beautiful cast a fish and watch the fish eat when he strips set, watch the water explode, watch the line rip across the surface, watched him run towards the fish to try and get it around from a rock and uh, ultimately watched him land it, which was just such an experience. Even for me, not having, not having caught mine, but watching somebody else get there first was honestly, it sounds cliche, but it was just as rewarding. You know what I mean? Like his hands were shaking. I'm watching Drew hold this fish. His hands are shaking and you know, my heart was racing because, again, I'd, I'd never even laid eyes on a, on, a, on a bonefish out of the water in person besides a dead one in a cooler one time at Fort Canaveral. Somebody caught thought they could take it home and eat it. Um, but uh, just an just a incredible place. And the trigger fish, I think the trigger fish, honestly, uh, are a good distraction. Um, it's, a, it's a very – it's a very uh, – honorary fish in the sense that they are spooky too. They're not nearly as spooky as the bonefish, 
but they are spooky and they're super hard to hook. I mean, I threw probably 15 or, or, or so different trigger fish in the time that I was there. And the second one I threw at eight and I got lucky. And, uh, but a very formidable opponent on the flats as well. And, and, and one, not to, one not to pass up for their fighting ability for, and for their table fare if you decide to eat them. I mean, it's, but it's, it, it's such, a, such a freaking amazing place to be because you literally have one, two, three, four, like five different fisheries in a sense all within seven miles or so of the resort. crazy. I just want to jump in really quick and say for some reason me and Alex were not friends on Facebook but I added you and I've got some questions for you later on after the show. Yes indeed. <laughs> and I'm also looking yeah. for pants for work. <laughs> <laughs> Well, everybody's always got some questions for me. That's for sure. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that, man. That's awesome. Um, and I hope that if anybody <laughs> has any questions in regards to uh, the Bahamas or in, in regards to even Panama, uh, you know, feel free. It's you know, travel fishing is is something that it's it's not it's not uh, it's not as as difficult to pull off as a lot of folks think and, and be honest, I'm one of those that was guilty of it up until I found out about OBB. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that, that you can go to the Bahamas and stay in a place as nice as old Bahama Bay and not truly break the bank for that, that trip. I, my mind bone fishing in the Bahamas was completely out of the question because, you know, everywhere you look for, whenever you Google bone fishing in the Bahamas, you get the typical lodges that, you know, they charge you anywhere from two, anywhere from like two grand to $10,000 for a week. And I don't know if anybody's noticed, but I'm not that clientele. (laughs) You know, I'm much more, I'll be honest with you. I could pitch a tent in the Bahamas and be completely happy. Like, it has to be no seam proof because there are no seams and there are mosquitoes, but they're not as bad when the wind blows. So there's that, but I don't know. I don't know. I just know that it's awesome and that it's got a lot of potential and we, we didn't even come close to scratching the surface of what, what can be done from a kayak over there. I mean, Alex, I just, I know, I know for a fact that, the area behind the resort, that 10 foot, 15 foot of water, 20 foot of water spaces uh, where the muttons hang out and everything else. I mean, that's a playground for guys like you, watermen who dive in with a, with a pole spear and go, you know, create havoc on, on the local snapper population. I mean, it's, and that's a side that I don't think a lot of people think about, you know what I mean? So I don't know. I don't know. It was definitely, uh, Definitely interesting. And the flight just cracks you up. I mean, I've never been on such a short flight. I've never flown anywhere. It took like 24 minutes to leave an airport to land at the next one. 
pretty cool. It's hard to deny how close and how convenient it is to get over there no matter where you go. Yeah, it did. You know, like, jokingly, I was like, I wonder how many miles it is from my house. And Old Bahama Bay, the way the crow flies from my house, is 164 miles from my house. It's closer than Miami. Like, think about that. It's closer to my house than Miami. Like, that's crazy. It doesn't even make sense. And, you know, to, to have not explored it at all growing up, to have not taken the opportunities uh, with Jess before we had the kids and stuff, and, and just instead of going to Clearwater for a weekend, take the high-speed ferry to the Bahamas for a day or two. You know what I mean? It's just... It, it, there's definitely, there's definitely a lot to be said, though, for being able to stay at the resort, <clears throat> bring the family to the resort, because it has everything that, that, that the family would need. It's got the restaurant, it's got the tiki bars, it's got the pool, it's got shuffleboard, it's got uh, giant checkers, basketball courts, it's got giant chess games, it's got you know, a lot of fun stuff. You've got, um, obviously, the TV, there's uh, TV programs there are pretty cool, there's uh, a channel that's dedicated to memorials and, and death notifications, which is kind of creepy, but uh, once, once you scroll on past that, you know, they, there's a lot of good uh, programming that, that do play on the TVs over there. And then you've got, um, like, for nighttime, obviously, you're not going to do that during the day. Uh, but there's spa, there's a lot, of, a lot of creature comforts that, you know, the beach, the beach right there on the bay is, is really, really nice. And every morning they got a guy out there raking the seaweed up. So when the uh, sargasm floats in, they go out there and they rake it up and clean the beach up real nice. And so it's, it's a very pristine type of environment. There's houses there too, by the way. There's, there's also homes uh, within the community, if you will, that you can rent the full house. Um, some of them are not that bad at price, but then there's the one that's like a compound that's $16,000 a day. <laughs> $16,000 a day. So that's probably not going to be in any kayaker's budget. But um, there's, uh, there are other options as well. So there you go. That's kind of my first overall uh, breakdown of the trip. So what else? Yeah. Training. Off and on. That's not exciting. Because we're getting tropical storms months before they should come. Yeah, right? That's fun. That uh, makes it exciting. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, this thing—it's it's pretty decent size. System. And this is the second one to slide up from the Bahamas, as you know. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting though. We didn't get a lot of rain. We got rain. We got rain. Really, one night we got rain, and it wasn't a lot of rain. It was, you know, typical bands that were coming through. Um, it was one of the nights we were hanging out on that Viking and, uh, people were like running for the hills and I'm like, feels great. <laughs> I didn't care. I could care less if I got wet and it was, 
it was uh it was it was nice. But yeah, the wind the wind was gosh, that wind was brutal. So brutal. It'll humble you so fast. So fast. I'm not gonna say I didn't at one time wish that I had had a spinner rod with me because <laughs> I'd be lying if I said that, but uh trying to chuck flies into a stiff wind like that is really humbling. The food was amazing. I didn't talk about the food. The food was amazing. Uh, obviously, you can get conk anything you want, anywhere you want. Uh, it's obviously a staple in the Bahamas. Um, lobster was on the menu a couple of nights. Uh, they had aged sirloin that they did that was just to die for. I had a grouper. I had a grouper, uh, fried grouper one night. It was delicious. Um, Twelve spice ribs. They were great. Like the food was really incredible. Um, Sands beer is delicious, by the way. I have a new favorite beer. You can't seem to get it here in the states, but uh, and it's a local brew. Uh, you can tour the Sands Brewing Company. Um, I think Mark said it's like eight or ten bucks or something like that. Maybe maybe a little bit more than that to tour it. And then after that, you go up into the, like, the tasting room and they give you a bunch of beer to drink and. Uh, that's cool. Um, but, uh, you know, the nightlife in the village uh, of the Bahamas is kind of use at your discretion, I would say. Um, we didn't have any issues, uh, really, to speak of. I mean, a couple, one one in particular person, but they kind of, the locals kind of handled him pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, because they, they, they understand that those who are coming to the resort are going to come into the village and spend money and it just helps everybody. You know, it's not a, not an inclusive type of situation. They, they, they or exclusive type of situation. They want to include, uh, as many locals as possible. And, uh, again, the people were just way over the top. Nice, like super nice, very friendly. Um, but there's that. So, There'll be more information coming. Uh, we're going to be working on a few things moving forward with OBB, I believe, and uh, looking forward to having some opportunities to have some of you fine folks join us possibly over there at some point too, which would be really cool. Um, I know we're discussing uh, some sort of a kayak tournament type situation at the end of the year uh, to go along with a boat tournament. Uh, it's a charitable event. That some of the Miami Dolphin players put on, and uh, it's to help. If I remember correctly, it, it takes children from uh, rough upbringings and, and takes them fishing with fishing celebrities and such, and, and also the sports athletes themselves. So it's pretty cool, really cool situation there. But anybody got any questions? Probably not. James? We lost James. He got abducted by an alien. No, I'm still here. He got I just got no question. We already talked about this, like, probably, what, three or four times we've talked about the trip and everything else, so I pretty much I don't think I've missed any details, really. So what would you take tackle-wise if you weren't going to take 10, 10 fly boxes like you did this time? 
I would take two fly boxes. And, or, and, and if I was bringing tackle, I would bring, uh, I say tackle, conventional tackle. I would bring nothing smaller than a 3,000 size reel. I'd probably stick with a 4,000 size reel just for line capacity purposes. Um, jig heads, soft plastics like Slayer Inc., SSTs, um, SST XLs, uh, that type of stuff. Um, I would definitely bring more than the scent that comes on the SSDs. I would probably bring some sort of a Procure or something like that to goof it up when you're looking for those snappers in the deeper water. Um, I know that uh, Mark uses Gulp quite a bit over there, Gulp Shrimp quite a bit over there for the mutton snapper and does real well with them. Um, I would bring some topwater plugs. I'd bring some Seville stick shads, pink back for bonefish. Uh, I would, <laughs> I would, uh, I would definitely bring vertical jigs if you get a chance to go offshore. Uh, the vertical jigs would be ideal. Some, uh, I'd probably bring a 8,000 size spinning rod with a short jigging stick um, that could double as a live bait rod as well. Um, you know, that kind of, I mean, the typical stuff that you would use in South Florida off the beach is really no different than what you would use in the Bahamas. Um, lots of wire. I'd bring plenty of wire because if you're going to, if you're going to fish some somewhat coastal, you're going to run into a lot of barracuda. I mean, there's no shortage of barracuda over there. And to me, barracudas are much like Jack Ravel. They're very underrated as far as, you know, catching them. I, I enjoy catching barracudas. They're fast. They're aggressive. They, they eat just about anything, um, including each other, apparently. And, uh, you, know, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't miss out on that opportunity at all. Um, some sabikis to get yourself some live bait. There's plenty of blue runners around and things like that to sabiki up. Um, you know, from the from the back of the resort, again that four thousand size rod and like a medium, medium heavy type rod that uh, reeled with a, with, you know what I'm trying to say, like an eight to seventeen pound class rod would do just fine. You don't need to use super heavy braid on the beach side or on the on the bay side because there's not a lot of structure, um, out out past where you're going to be casting from the beach. If you're in a kayak, obviously get some different opportunities because you can kind of cruise around and check things out. But um, on the ocean front side, so on the east side of the, of the island, um, I would definitely probably step up my, my, my game as far as your leader material and stuff is concerned because it is quite a bit more rocky out there. And it is, it is heavily tidally influenced. So if the tide is, is leaving, the fish are leaving or they're staging in areas waiting for prey to come to them. If the tide is coming in, then the fish are rushing in and getting into the spots where they can't normally feed, obviously, and kind of getting themselves set up that way. So, um, but, yeah, there's you, – you can make yourself a list of species that you want to try and find and locate and target that way, or you can just go out and just throw flies or throw – lures and see what you catch. I lost a, a I believe it was a Spanish mackerel, either Spanish or a zero in the, in the marina basin throwing flies, just blind casting 
really just trying to see if anything would pop up off the rocks, if I can draw a snapper away from the rocks or whatever like that. And uh, that wasn't a problem. In fact, at the end of the rock jetty that goes out towards the, um, the ocean, uh, where the marina opens up into the ocean, uh, there was tons, literally hundreds and hundreds of different tropical, tropical reef species that were chasing the flies around and uh, nipping at them and trying to get them and stuff. And, uh, but underneath them are muttons, are, are lanes, are mangrove snappers. Um, you can see them cruising around. I saw a big permit come around the tip of the jetty one day. Uh, lots of big barracudas hanging around the jetty, some sharks cruising by, that kind of stuff. Um, had some small reef sharks on the flat when I was wading. Uh, a little sketchy because I mean, reef sharks are kind of, kind of frantic sharks. They're not like a, like a nurse shark just lays there. You can walk up on it and pet it, but, uh, you know, so keep your head on the swivel that way. But, you know, just like I said, like the typical stuff that you would use for here will work over there. I mean, it's, it's, that part of it's not that different. What I would recommend, though, is trying to keep your gear on the smaller side as far as length is concerned. If you have an eight-foot jigging stick, I would try and find a smaller one, six-and-a-half, seven-foot, or maybe at the most, just for, for airplane accessibility. Because depending upon who you fly over with, um, that is a concern, is the length of, of your, your carry-on or your check bag. So uh, if you fly Bahamas Air, which tends to be more reasonable than everybody else, um, you could you can bring a rod tube. Jameson brought a rod tube over. I don't know who he flew over with, but uh, the the luggage is st- is stowed behind the the cabin where the pi- or you know where the pilots are are doing their thing. So it doesn't go in the belly of the plane. It just literally goes like where first class would be in a bigger plane is where all the luggage pretty much goes. So you know, keep that in mind. Um, I didn't have any issues with theft or any of that stuff that you might would hear horror stories from people about. Um, I flew over with a suitcase that had five, five, six, six fly rod tubes in the, in the uh, under part of the suitcase. And my carry on was, uh, was a bag, a typical carry-on size bag, but I had all my fly reels and extra line and extra backing in there. My flies flew in with my clothes. Uh, I brought a handle of a handle of whiskey with me over there. No issue coming through customs or anything like that. They didn't charge me anything for that. The guy opened up my luggage and moved it out of the way to search through everything, so they don't seem to have a problem with that. Um, you know, it's it, you definitely don't want to leave anything at home because there's no tackle shop. Like there will be at some point, Mark is working on putting together a little small uh, selection of hooks and sabikis and things like that. But, you know, everything's super expensive in the, in the Bahamas. So even if you did find a place to go buy some stuff, you're going to pay out your ears for it. So it, it wouldn't hurt to pack, extra leader material, extra hooks, uh, extra jigs, things like that, you know, make sure you have extra of whatever it is you're really going to use the most of. But like I said, if I were 
planning a trip to go back over there, which I will be here shortly. Um, I, I would I would definitely uh, downsize the amount of stuff that I brought with me. Uh, I would take instead of like five through fifteen weight fly rods, I would probably take uh, maybe the six weight, six weight, eight weight, ten weight um, for what I intend to do the next time over there. Uh, I don't foresee myself going off in the blue water with the with the with the fly stuff um, on the next trip. But uh, you know, I w- I wouldn't leave anything at home either that you may want to use. Just bring it with you. I mean, and everything's secure when you're on at the resort as well, so you don't have to really worry about that either. Um, yeah. Thoughts, comments, concerns? No. All sounds pretty awesome to me. You're definitely going to want to bring performance-type shirts, long sleeves, uh, hoo-rags, wading boots. Listen, I don't care how rugged your feet are. (laughs) There's no wading. There's no way you're going to wade anywhere around that whole entire island without some sort of footwear. You have to wear it. I mean, it just, the rocks are sharp, the, the coral's sharp, the, the shells and such on the bottom are sharp. There's, there's sea glass everywhere. Some of it's nice and smooth. Some of it's still like somebody just broke the bottle like a week ago. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of things. There's lots of urchins, uh, Stingrays, you don't really have to worry about too much because if you can't spot one of them big bastards coming at you, then you deserve to get Steve Irwin too soon. Um, but it's just you know it's it's a it's a yeah it's just a it's a it's a waterman's dream. To be honest with you. The hard part's when you're flying in and you're driving into the resort to to not want to stop every like couple hundred yards to jump out and check out the estuaries that you drive past mangrove shorelines and things like that things that look much more familiar to us than than a typical uh bahamian flat that's got nothing on it but seagrass and shallow water forever or in this case on the ocean side rocks um and some sand holes but there's a lot of that backwater fishing to be done um and if you look on google earth and you go out into the bay behind call it the bay, but if you go out into the waterway behind the island, the further out you go, you'll still find areas that on low tide are damn near completely exposed. So, you know, you go over there with some time on your hands and you could really explore some cool places that very few people I would ever imagine have, have fished, fished besides hand lining and that kind of thing, traditional Bahamian style fishing um, on the backside, because most everybody that comes to West End is coming over to stop to check in through customs and then move on to their next destination, um, you know, throughout the Bahamas since it's so close to uh, South Florida. So, um, and certainly whatever you do over there in a kayak, you're going to be one of the first people to do from a kayak uh, in this particular area because just not a lot of people do that. I mean, it's not, it's not something that's offered 
anywhere in the island that, I, that I'm aware of is kayak fishing. You know what I mean? It's kayaking to look at birds and lobsters and turtles and stuff. It's not, it's not really designed. Those tours aren't really designed for fishing. So, but hopefully I'll get, uh, we'll get Sergio or Mark on the, on the line uh, for a show upcoming where we can, you know, dive into it a little bit deeper, more of the who's, what's, where's, when's, why's, and how's. I know that the slow season is any time other than June and July. And into August, it starts to slow down. So really, like the summer months when your kids are out of school, obviously you're going to be the busier times for the Bahamas and that, that particular area. Um, a lot of people crossing over the ocean to, to come and hang out. But in the winter months when the ocean's not really navigatable for uh, you know, smaller vessels, center consoles and such, uh, you could, I would imagine you just have a field day over there. You know, nobody around to, to, to really to see. So, uh, I'll geek that over the place, that's for sure. Just like I did, just like I was when I came back from Los Buzos. I mean, there's two, two absolutely amazing fisheries, completely polar opposites of each other. And uh, and very much on board with the kayak fishing. So I think that th- those things in amongst themselves is pretty damn cool. The kayak fishing side of it. Nice. Yeah. No, so, it's a... Uh... That is a that is a pretty good uh, opposite polar opposite of the spectrum that you got there over the past couple months from Pacific Central America to Bahamas Caribbean. Yeah, I mean, completely different. Interesting. Every, everything about it. Yeah, everything about it's completely different. And uh, you know, I. I I like the fact that Los Buzos, the, the guys down there, have now found themselves another lodge that they're that they're getting ready to send people to, and it's gonna, it's quite a bit closer to the city um, because the six-hour trip out to Los Buzos is a long trip. I mean, that's a long ride in a in a desolate area. Um, I mean, you, you're going to a you're going to Panama to go fishing for some amazing species you can get through the six-hour the six hour road trip to get out there to see those things. But they have this new spot that, they're, they, that they've got now that's some sort of a lake. It's more of a lake type of an environment, but it's got snook, it's got tarpon, it's got peacocks, it's got all kinds of stuff in it. Um, so that's another opportunity for travel fishing uh, into Panama. If you, if you might not want to do the, the big blue water Pacific uh, style fishing, which it might be intimidating to some people. I mean, there's a lot of folks that might would want to go try that out. And, you know, the Pacific Ocean is a freaking crazy place. It, it is, it is, there is no, I've never seen anything as poor opposite to the Atlantic as that. Like, it, it's really strange how different those two bodies of water are. You know, but, uh, you know, one's one's a six to seven hour, 
flight plus the drive and everything else. And the other one is 24-minute flight from Florida. So no matter where you come from in, in, in the States, you can fly from – you could fly from California to Florida, probably take you eight hours, ten, eight, eight hours or so uh, for that flight. If, if it's a direct flight, probably a little bit quicker than that. But once you land in, in Florida, you're, you're that short little puddle hopper flight away from the Bahamas, which is nice. Um, and honestly, the cost is, is, is fairly similar between the two places um, or what the perceived cost should be with uh, OBB, which again, they're going to work out, they're going to try and figure out a way to work out some sort of a package deal, I believe, uh, for the kayak fishing community, um, to where, you know, you pay this, you pay this rate, you get your room for this many nights and the use of the kayaks and this, that, and the other, or whatever, whatever flight included, possibly you can charter a plane over, which is kind of cool. You get six or seven guys that want to go on the trip together. Um, or a couple families together that want to do it, the price of the chartered flight is really not that much different than the price of, of a commercial flight. So when you break it down between everybody, so you got different options and, uh, you know, different options and different, different, totally different targets, but definitely it would, it would behoove anybody thinking about going, either place really to kind of come up with a list of what you want to try and target and then pack your gear accordingly to those species and virtually anything will eat a plastic bait right no matter where you are in the world so having a few of those type of well-rounded baits wouldn't hurt because in the event like I found where I couldn't make the, the bonefish happen I still was able to pick up some some pretty awesome uh, other species, the, uh, that little pompano thing, the uh, the triggerfish, and some of the others too. Bob Bell says, if you were to take a $99 flight from Melbourne to Bimini, how difficult is it to then get to West End? Cost for the additional leg? I can't imagine it being that much. Uh, James is the flight expert on the panel, so maybe he can do a quick Google search and come up with, with an answer to that. But I know, I know you can take the high speed ferry into Freeport and you can get a taxi or rent a car or maybe phone the, the resort and see if they can send a, a, a van out to pick you up from there, um, which would probably save you some money if I had to, if I had to make a guess about it. Um, yeah, I know that I know that they fly from Melbourne to Bimini, and it is super cheap. Like, like you're right, I think it is ninety nine bucks. So that's pretty crazy. But yeah, you know, I'll get like I said, I'll I'll try and get uh, Sergio on the line at some point, and Mark, because those guys obviously can fill in some of those details. They they fly over quite a bit, so they would know. Uh, better than even me as to as to those types of things, but I, I can't imagine it being very much to fly from Bimini to to West End. And the thing about it is, uh, the airport in in Freeport is maybe a twenty minute drive from the resort, um, but there is a landing strip 
right there at the resort. So if you if you were to um, if you were to uh, charter a plane as opposed to fly commercial, you literally land right outside or right inside of the property boundaries of the resort. So clearing through customs and all that kind of stuff is super, super quick, super easy. And obviously that would allow for you to bring maybe some more, some more stuff, some food type items and things like that. Like if you wanted to kind of do it on the, on the cheapest that you could do it, um, having the cooktop and everything else inside the room uh, would allow for you to save some money from going down and eating at the restaurant. It's a five-star restaurant. The chef there is phenomenal. So, I mean, you're going to, you're going to spend 20 bucks, 25 bucks on a meal on average um, for dinner, which isn't bad. I mean, we spend about that here. If you go anywhere, really 25 bucks per person isn't that isn't too excessive, but um, the menu is pretty limited. So if you wanted to, explore i know alex you just eat whatever it is you shoot so and and i kind of want to do the same thing i go when i go back over there so but uh bob bell says looks like the high speed ferry is about a hundred dollars each way uh so still very reasonable yeah and you know during the off season i think that the room rates are are below two hundred dollars a night ish uh it's a big it's a big main room it's like i said like a efficiency kind of a condo situation so they've got a big king bed and they got a pull-out bed that is part of a couch so or that is a couch so you have that option as well you can put you're going over there to hardcore fish with some buddies you can put four people in one of those rooms if you really had to and split the cost of the room break it down uh, yeah Anybody? Bueller? No, that's that's uh, it's nice to uh, like I shoot. I did that article a while ago. Now it's nice to have options like this for kayakers and people that are looking to do that stuff. It's neat. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, cool. What else you got going on, man? And then the tea craft is uh, got to be getting like damn near done. I saw the. I saw the uh, uh, leaning post that you got done, uh, the upholstery work. It's freaking awesome. Yeah, it's um, it's up there at the riggers. We'll see how uh, how long they have it. Right now, it's kind of an undetermined number, but we'll see what happens when it gets here. So I know I'm ready. But a lot of fishing, a whole lot of fishing lately. Fishing's been good too. Tell us about it. It's a little bit of everything. I'm waiting for tarpon. I don't want to talk about anything until the tarpon show up. <laughs> yeah, that's your that's your bread and butter, man. And I don't think that there's anybody that's as good at it as you are from from the kayak from our area. It's fun, man. Good times. Yeah. Cool. Well, first night back, kind of get the jitters out a little bit. Appreciate you guys tuning in. 
I wanted to, to kind of give the synopsis of my trip while it was still in my head um, before I start forgetting stuff that I wanted to talk about. So appreciate you guys tuning in on such a short notice. But uh, we will be going back to our Tuesday night, I believe. Um, Alex and I will discuss this afterwards. But uh, Tuesday seemed to be a better night. Honestly, I wanted to, to get it done on this evening so that J- uh, – James Page could join us. He's getting ready to go on a work-related trip, not a fun-related trip. <clears throat> Got to go to Boston. Boston. The high in Boston tomorrow is going to be 59. 59 degrees. That's the and high. We got a tropical, and we got a tropical depression like creeping up our back. Such and, a weird and year. And it's going to be rainy and 59. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, there you go. Anything else new and exciting you want to share before we jump off of here? No, it's only got warm in Atlanta. Fishing is actually starting to pick up now, finally. We had a really, we had a warm February, but a cold March and April screwed up everything. But we're, we're normal now, relatively speaking. Nice. Alex? Anybody wants to get a hold of you to do a charter? Sorry, I was so long-winded tonight, brother. Oh, no. It's uh, 321-480-3255, Killer. Yeah, Thanks again. I appreciate, I appreciate you tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns for myself or for Alex, always feel free to hit us up. We do our best to answer those questions in a timely fashion. And uh, take a kid fishing into the future of the sport, and we are out of here. We will talk to you again next week. Have a safe week. Hope you guys. Hope you enjoyed Mother's Day. And uh, it's a busy week at the Levi residence. Tomorrow's Jess's birthday. She'll she'll be turning 25 again. And uh, 20th is our anniversary. And then Trey's birthday follows that. May May's a May's a proper month for the Levi's, but yeah, cool. Anyway, we'll talk to you guys next week. See ya.